Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. Do you have any housekeeping you want to keep? Uh, oh. Where's my tip? You know, what no. you, know what, you know what you ought to do is you ought to pre-record this so you don't have to do it every week. I was thinking about it, but I want it to be live and I want it to be I want it to be genuine. That's true. So we're gonna do it live and genuine. Right. Are you listening regularly? Join the Practical Guitars Facebook group. And as always, you can read uh, you can review us on iTunes, pod or whatever podcast provider you have, Stitcher, etc. Uh, you can also reach out to us directly via our email address at practicalguitarspodcast at gmail.com. That was quick. That was very fast. Okay. So many jokes. And so probably jokes. totally incoherent. That's correct. <laughs> if you really want to hear it, listen to the last episode. <laughs> um, or the episode before that, or the episode. Yeah, we've been doing it for a while. So anyway, um, got an interesting topic this week. Last week, uh, I was looking at some software products. I, I, I use uh, Easy Drummer uh, in my DAW so that I can uh, help mix drums. I actually bought it for the sound player part of it. But um, I quickly got into the loops and stuff that it has in it, and uh, it became readily apparent when I bought Easy Drummer that it really doesn't give you um, that many loops, and you have to pay extra. And they're twenty five bucks a pack for like a thousand MIDI files. It's called Easy Drummer. Yeah. Oh my God! There's so many jokes and so little time. Yeah, I know Easy Drummer. <laughs> anyway, so there. No, but actually, they also make Superior Drummer, which is. <laughs> level version of that and oh, the cool the cool part of it is some of the packs sorry, are like drum from hell is one of the packs yep. can you guess what t- style of music that is gee i wonder if it's pantera yeah it's it's metal definitely um no but seriously the, it, it's a great product they put out um i know tons of people use it it's one of the more popular drum sampling softwares that you can get either superior drum or easy drummer um but what what led me to to realize because i work in the software industry anyways or industry um, anyway, and I, I kind of look at this and I go, why in the hell should I pay 99 bucks for 6,000 loops? Like, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, yes, okay, so they had to get a guy in the studio to record these loops, these mini loops. But, I mean, what am I buying product-wise? I'm buying his studio time, which is probably two or three days in a studio, um, just just playing random stuff that they would cut and splice and turn into loops. Um, and what what kind of got me is even the drum sounds like there's some multi-sample kits and stuff. Once I get that set up and they sample it, that process maybe takes a couple weeks total to assemble the sample library and to put it together as a virtual instrument. Um, and once it becomes automated, like they have a they have a, a loader or whatever you want to call it to actually dump the files into the software, it becomes way easier. And so why am I paying ninety nine bucks for MIDI files? Um, Jim, why do you think why do you think I'm paying 99 bucks in these files? Because you need them. <clears throat> I do, and, and and that's why I'm willing to pay 99 bucks for them. Right, and and because you're willing to, I, you know, so IRs are the same thing, right? IRs are nothing but wave files. That, sure, I would um, I would argue that IRs are even easier to produce. Yep. So why are people paying? I mean, some of those IRs are really expensive. Oh yeah, I bought a couple. So that's I I you know. So if we if we went by work effort, 
nobody would pay for a song half a time. Because you hear these guys, oh, it was just, I woke up and uh, yeah, we did it one take, you know. this song. And yeah, okay, Celine Dion, for example. One, um, I know that people are going to hate me for this. Certainly not a guitar song, but My Heart Will Go On. Guess what? One take. She didn't want to record the song. She told her husband, no, I don't want to do this song. Um, and she did a demo at his behest. And guess what? That's the version you hear, the demo. Well, she never went back and redid it. So now I'm not saying that Celine Dion doesn't deserve or doesn't deserve it. And I'm not trying to put Celine Dion and everybody else in the same category. What I'm saying is if you said that the effort of work was equal to the amount I should pay, then we well, wouldn't pay for much of anything. I totally agree. However, I, and, and the argument I think is the most compelling is when you hear a musician says, you're not paying for the take. You're paying for the 40 years of practice it took to get to that take. Right. Which I get that. But they're not being paid for that. Like no. if, if it were that. OK, so the guy that's coming in doing the samples, how much do you think they're paying him? I bet you they're I mean, paying yeah, him. He's getting probably, he's a probably normal getting $40 an hour. He's, he's probably prob- getting a normal session rate. Right. He's probably getting about 40 bucks an hour. To make it worth his time, that's what they're paying him. Yeah. Which, I mean, okay. There was a time when 20 bucks an hour was the norm. So yeah. they're probably paying him 40 bucks an hour. Comes in, does like a Steve Gadd type thing. Okay, well, give me some Steve Smith. You know. So and- this, this is what brings me to, though, and this is actually the reason we, I want to discuss this and talk about this is this week's topic. Um, this week's topic is going to be affectionately referred to as ARG matey. Because it's going to be all about piracy. Because the reason we pay $99 for those MIDI files is not because we're paying $99 for the MIDI files. You're paying for all the assholes who ripped them off. You know, that that's a that's a thing we could talk about in so many different things. Like the healthcare industry, so many things. But you're right. Sure. We are. I mean, even in when you go to Walmart and you buy bread, you're paying price that has the built-in expectation that some people are going to steal bread. Or that the bread is going to turn moldy while it's sitting on the shelf. Yeah. I mean, so we pay for insurance. But on top of that, let's talk about the the thing that you're you're referring to as far as the MIDI files. If I make MIDI files and they're not popular, then I don't deserve money. But if my MIDI files are selling, I deserve that thing. Now, we also ref- were talking about there should be a tipping point. How much is the right amount? Is any set of MIDI files really worth $90? How many of them are you getting? I mean, are you getting $91 MIDI files? Maybe that's, I don't know. Yeah, okay, so here's the thing. Like, the way I perceive the software industry, at least as it comes to music, right? And I'm not talking about other stuff because I understand why the licensing models work for other companies. Adobe's gone to the, um, they're, they're not doing the uh, subscription model that's, I understand why, because they had to combat piracy, and yep. their subscription model is cheaper than if you were to buy the product outright. Exactly. So they did it they, they did it in an effective way. Yep. The problem I have is growing up using DAWs. Right. Okay, the first thing that I ran into was the dongle, you know? Yes. Where you have to have the USB thing stuck into your computer in order to use the software. There's a now, lot of software like that. You'd be surprised at the amount of Oh, um, no, I know. Yeah, I, AutoCAD, yep. like, there's all kinds of stuff like that. But, um... Especially in the medical industry, yeah. um, but but what drives me nuts is that if you're if you're a home recording guy, right? You're not you're probably not using a high budget computer that has fifty USB ports, correct? 
And so you're going to have one dongle yep. for each piece of software. Yeah. That's why they got out of that. Most of the yes. companies aren't doing that anymore, or that's only an option. Right. And then you had to buy the dongle from a third party yep. and install your license file onto it. So you only have to use one USB. And then if anything ever happened to that dongle, oh, my God, the pain in the butt to get a new one. And yeah. get the old one turned down. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It's insane. Yep. So um, I don't think that was an effective system. Mm-mm. I really wish. All right, so I was just thinking about this because I'm I'm looking at Melodyne right now. Right. Um. Everybody has a DAW, right? And then they have the various plugins they use. Right. Now, of the people I know, and I'm not going to name names, but of the people I know who have five thousand plugins, yep. Most of those people are stealing them. Right. Of the people I know. Right. Okay. Right. Now here's the thing. And you certainly they don't would, want to name names at that point. <laughs> they would call it evaluating right. the software because they're home users. They probably have used it once, yep. and it's just sitting there, and they've never used it again. Yep. But the fact remains that but they you, stole it. But if you buy a fork at Walmart and you buy it and you use it once and you leave it in your drawer, does that mean you could just take it from Walmart? Right. Right. I mean, so where do you draw that line? Well, so here, so I, I mean, personally, and I, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jim, but, but yeah. personally, I draw the line at the fact that you're stealing. Period. There's, there's really, I, I, I mean, I, I would rather pay for it and no, and partially because I work in the industry. So my concern is that if something were to ever happen to me, that uh, you know, w- with piracy, yep. that could be the end of my career. Oh yeah, yeah. Same here. I wouldn't have a secret clearance. You know, the thing that that um, we've got to think about in this context is that somebody went and had to create, I mean, we all know that, yeah, 15 minutes went into the real work of putting that thing together, right? But there was all the time of getting a drummer, getting them set yeah, up, project management, putting up the right. stuff. Owning the studio and getting the mics. We all know the money that's behind every single one of those. Mm-hmm. And then having to get it and distribute it. Let's say you you were a today's musician and you were going to use DistroKid, right? To mm-hmm. get your stuff out there. Well, which, which I am using DistroKid. Yeah. So how much are you paying for DistroKid? It's 20 bucks a year. 20 bucks a year. And I'm not saying that you're going to make $20 a year. No, I'm not going to make $20 a year, but I want it. Right. I'm not saying you won't. I'm not saying you will. What I'm saying is there are, there are distro kids models where you can pay that much a month. Sure. And hopefully you get your money back at some point. But my, um, my point is that somebody's – this podcast costs, costs me electricity. It sure. costs me time, Right. It costs you time every every week. So there's about what? How much would you say goes into this? Six eight hours a week. Yeah, probably. Um, and it there's at least um, there's at least fifteen dollars a month of my cost to pay for Podbean. Yeah, right. So um, Skype, both of us are professionals. Skype numbers, all that stuff. There's a bunch of stuff that they get rolled into here. Right. Not to be you know. Uh, I have a, of our listeners for not paying us anything. Right, I don't have this <laughs> this um, blue microphone doesn't get used for anything else. This Yeti that's sitting on my desk. You have a you have a uh, microphone with the. Sp- yeah, I have an AT twenty twenty from yep. uh, Audio Technica. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, on a boom mountain, all that stuff that I wouldn't have otherwise. I'm wearing beats and you're wearing, um, and I got my, I believe these are audio technica MX something headphones. These are the, these are the industry standard ones right now. Right. And so we're not, we're not just, you know, two guys on a iPhones babbling into, you know, incoherently. I've heard some podcasts. Well, at least not when we're on the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we I've had some messages come to me, Jim, and they look pretty incoherent. <laughs> yeah. But I hear some of these other podcasts, and all you hear is the background, you're like, tweet, 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 honk, honk. You know, it's like, you know. Oh, let me get I think some, I know the one let you're me talking some, about. Um, let me get some drink here. Oh, got my ice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you know, know who you are. These people know who they are. You know, try to be a little professional here. Um, but the point is that, you know, so these guys are setting their time and their and their um, efforts up in hopes that their efforts are returned. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Let's say that I wanted to create a software that had drums in it, right? I'm creating this MIDI drum thing. And you go, hey, I need to use that. Um, so I can do some creating. It's not my fault you didn't come up with a good song. It's not my fault that you didn't write anything with my drum track. I I have a package, <clears throat> and you have a choice. You can buy it or leave it. But this goes on, I mean, come on, this goes on with, with music, this goes on with movies, this goes on with everything It's a digital medium. For some reason, if it's a digital medium, it's okay to steal it. Yeah. And yeah. say, well, I, I was just evaluating stand. that. I don't understand. I've been evaluating it for the last four years. <laughs> so that? I don't understand the motive people to think that. And there's a lot of people, you know, they make their living off this and they're not rich. Okay. Let's be really clear. Most software developers, engineers, they're putting a lot of money out to develop that software, buying, buying the uh, development kits and all that stuff that they yeah. have to do in order to do it. Yeah. I know some guys that they make around, $70,000 a year writing software. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I know a lot of people that do. $70,000 uh, is good money. I'm not saying it's bad money. I, well, my, my point is that if you're making $70,000 a year, you know, people think that software developers, I don't know what that, why that is, but a lot of people I know think software developers make six figures plus. Yeah. You know, all no. of them. No, no most software a lot. developers <laughs> are not making that kind of money. And no. most of your musicians aren't. And that's, no, a, that's the thing not. I was getting at. That's the other side of piracy. So you take your piracy of music. You go out, you make a make a copy of so and so's record because you thought, oh, that guy's rich. How do you know he's rich? How do you know? And some well, of them, that that money is as fleeting as as that. You watch these VH1 behind the music things. Yeah, watch how many of them are broke. They're broke. I mean, and, and they die broke. I was just watching uh, uh, the Rat story. You know, yeah. Warren Demartini and all those guys, and the and. The original rhythm guitar player died penniless and heroin overdose. He just decided that it's terrible. It was time to go. All and, right, and we we assume we assume a lot of times. I mean, we're we're going to be talking to somebody later. We assume that these people are making a ton of money and that tons of people are coming to their shows. And that's not always the case. So, Jim, let's let's. I think we can both agree that piracy is part of the reason that the cost is what it is. Yep. Um, my, 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 the way I want to end this kind of discussion 
is to talk about a model that that I think would work better for the for the uh, software development industry, uh, the music software development industry. Yeah. Now, so we basically and, and and guitar players first and foremost recognize this. We have two types of guitar players. There's the pro who's out there actually playing gigs. Yep. And then there's the hobbyist who sits at home and he plays through his practice amps. Yep. Nothing wrong with that. Nope. Um, but there's a, a distinct marketing difference there, you know, and cool. you don't see, you actually don't see a whole lot of overlap. I know people t- tend to think that there's this, like this prismatic, you know, guitar market, but right. I, I don't think there's as much overlap as people think there is. Now, when um, you say there's not much overlap, what do, you, what do you refer to? Well, so I'm like, so if you're talking about amps, like I, people would say like, oh, well, there's mid-level amps, but I don't think there's as many mid-level amps as are either high end or low end. Correct. I think there's more, or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's kind of like. It's it's a little bit more uh, spread thin in that that middle range. Yeah, which is what I'm trying to say. Good discussion. Um, so what I'm trying to say here is that they should have two licensing models, and some companies do, but I still think their pricing doesn't really denote that. I was looking at Melodyne. I'm going to pull them up here so we can kind of reference this and get an accurate thing. Melodyne has a product um, mm-hmm. um, that that does uh, both polyphonic and monophonic pitch correction. Okay. Right. It is a it is a fantastic product, and it's something that a lot of people said was basically voodoo that would never happen. Right. And it does exist now. Uh, the company that produces them is called Celimony. Okay. They make Melodyne and Capstan. Capstan, I believe, is a tape simulator. Melodyne is their uh, their pitch correction tool. Now, if I go into the shop section of their website, we'll get the pricing. So Melodyne is available as Melodyne Studio, which is a standalone product. You don't even need a DAW to use it, is my understanding. And that is the complete Melodyne is $850, okay, for a plug-in. Now, see, I can understand that for a guy who's got, or a woman who's got a uh, studio, professional studio. If if you have a studio, it makes total sense because you're going to make that money back real quick, okay? Melodyne 4 Editor, which is the single-track Melodyne 4 Editor. Uh, which I believe is monophonic, is $500, okay? That's not a huge difference. Melodyne for Assistant yep. uh, dispenses with the editing of polyphonic audio material and certain other functions found in larger editions, but offers a full Melodyne toolkit. That's $250. That's not, and okay. Then, right. And then they have Melodyne Essential, which is 99 bucks. Hey, that okay, that's a good price scheme. That's, that works. Now, so here's the thing, though. They drop off so many features as you get down to the lower end, it's almost not even worth buying Melodyne Essential. So I, I, I got the trial today, which gives you all the features, you know, out the yin-yang, and you get it for 30 days free. All right? You should, you well, should who sit down, thought? play with Evaluation version, right? Yep. So I'm going to play with it. I have a track that I actually need to use this on, so it's actually going to allow me to do this track. Um, and then if I decide I, I, it's an, an indispensable tool and I want it in the future, maybe I'll buy it. Um, now, which which version is that that you? That it is buying? it is actually the the trial is for Melodyne Studio Complete. Oh, All that's right? the eight hundred dollars. So the eight hundred fifty dollars. And the cool thing about their trial is I can actually select which one I want on the fly, right. and it will show me the feature sets and the drop off, so I'll know yeah. what exactly I'm getting. Yeah. All right. So here's where here's where um, here's where we start to get back into our discussion here. So how, how cheap is too cheap for the home musician? Now. And, and what's the feature level that a home musician needs for for products? And that's that's why I think a lot of these companies are kind of falling short on. Yeah. Um, I was looking at Contact, which is um, which is a studio sample player 
software. Yep. Now they have a uh, contact complete, okay. which is called complete with a K. Yeah. Cause it's, and it is, okay. it's like five or 600 bucks yep. and it has everything under the sun in it, but you can get down to the, like the cheaper versions and they do the same thing where they have this tiered pricing, but they stop at 150 bucks. They have a free player, which will play their, their virtual instruments, but you can't edit anything. You can't change the samples or anything like that. Right. Um, Again, that's basically a trial version. Fine. Um, what I would like to see is more companies offer a subscription model that is affordable for the home user and maybe put some limitations yeah. on how it can be used. Like this can only be used on your personal project. You can't use this on some guy you know that you're recording. You know, it has to be used on a product with your name attached to it. Right. And so, that could be part of licensing. Right. Let's say that you had a studio. And you brought somebody in, you could have a subscription model base that worked for a studio. I mean, I can get, if I buy um, a subscription to Microsoft Office, yeah, I can use that PowerPoint. Once I don't have a subscription to it, that file doesn't go away. No, I keep the file, but I can't open it or I have to use Viewer. Correct. So I, again, or I can give it to somebody else. I can still sell it. Yeah, and they can I can't it. look at. It. So the my thing is like I, I I would like to see us go to a subscription model at least for home users, so that like if I want to use um, Melodyne and I'm going to be working on a project for the next four months, and I buy a four month subscription right. at thirty bucks at thirty bucks a month, right? Maybe my project costs me five hundred bucks when I get done, but that's still better than five hundred bucks for the software that I need to do it. And I'm only going to use on that one project. Right. Or you use it on a one track. And the, and the thing that you would get out of that is I was able to get, you know, as long as you've got EULA, the usage um, end user uh, licensing agreement. Which is another thing I think you. they need to simplify so that people can actually understand uh, that when they read it. Uh, if you get a chance to watch South Park, um, uh, what's the what's the episode where um, they have a they do the. Um, the human centipad. That's what it's called. The human centipad. And it, it keep asking, why won't it read? And and Kyle just keeps agreeing to the EULA. <laughs> he winds up he winds up on a human centipede with an iPad at the rear end of it. It's it's definitely takes a South Park turn. But um yeah, if you have a EULA that says, Yeah, I had a subscription to this, I had an act, active subscription to this while I was doing it for this song. And then you would have to give them, say, rights. In other words, if the song sells, if it goes on an album or goes into a TV show or goes into a game or goes into a movie or whatever, if their stuff is in there, they get a piece of that. Just yeah, like, I could see but, that. I could see that. But, but I think but, even, even simpler, for the home user, like as long as you're not selling your music to the outside world, this license is valid. Okay, but what I was going to say is, you can also have a level where you say, you know what, I bought it. I bought it for that time. I made that use. Okay, I bring a studio musician in, pay him 25 bucks, sit down and play a, a four-second guitar solo. And the studio musician leaves. I pay him for their hour in the studio, they leave. They put down a whole bunch of stuff. I either mix or don't mix them into the final yeah. mix. And I put the album out, and they hear it five years later. They hear it hit number one. Like, oh, that's me on guitar. 
when they came in, I, because of our agreement, they don't get credit. <laughs> but believe me, mm-hmm. there's a lot of music that's like that. They don't get credit, and they don't get any royalties. They got their 40 bucks or whatever it is that I gave them when I came into the studio. And that's it. So, and why is software any different? Why can't I just buy the software for that? I need it for three hours. Literally, you could, you could rent software for the literal time you have it online. You could say, okay, I need it by the hour. And mm-hmm. I, when I turn on my software, it goes back and it charges me ching, ching, ching by 15-minute incre- increments or whatever. Yeah, you got a little counter up in the corner. It says you owe this much at the yeah. end of the session. And by the end of the session, you say, okay, I had that, I had that software going for you know, 25 minutes. I, I don't know how DAWs work. Do you have to have it active the whole time you're at it? And does it can it go inactive and active? Can you bring it in for I don't know. I'm my my whole I, I don't even think we have to get that chaotic with it. I think basically the idea of that I'm that I'm discussing is essentially if I'm recording myself with your product, which the very likelihood is that I'm never gonna make any money to pay for this and they're never gonna get any royalties out of this. Then why not give it to me at a cheaper rate? So at least I learn the software. And God willing, if I do become a more seasoned musician and actually end up in a professional studio, and I know of that product and I know how it works, and I tell the engineer, "Yeah, we got to use this because it's it's part of my sound." Then they are the ones that are responsible for owning that product, and they absorb the costs because you're already paying them by the hour anyway. So yeah. There's no royalties on this stuff. If you walk out, <laughs> if I go to a studio right now and, and they have Melodyne 4 Studio Complete and they use it on my track, I'm not paying royalties to Melodyne. No, you're not. That's my point. And that's part of the EULA. That's part of the agreement. Yeah, right. Sure. Agreement. So, I don't think that ever has to be a thing. Like, you have to pay royalties for a piece of software. That's what I'm saying. No, you should. But, but right. you should have a subscription. You should be yes. able to say, I just want it for a month, or I want it for a week, or I want it for... Or the, the duration of when I'm designing this project. That's which, right. And and if your your audience is super small and they know that, yep. why not? Yep. I would ra- I would rather look at his collateral marketing and yep. say I'm getting this into the hands of somebody who may someday be an engineer, right? You know, and he's got the exposure to it now. It's the same thing as the idea of an educational license, right? But in our field, so much of what, especially with engineering work, doesn't get learned in the classroom. No, it's in the field, and right? Because there really aren't many classrooms that do this. And, and not, not not well. They exist, but the thing is, I of the engineers that I know, I mean, many, many of them do do not go to school. Right. They they just learn it on the fly, or they just happen into it, or maybe they're recording their buddies' bands and they do a really good job. And then they, you know, they they're in the studio working, you know, as with that band in some capacity. And the studio goes, "Man, that's really good work. We want we want to hire that guy. He can be an assistant engineer for a while." Yep. So. Yeah, I agree with you. It really comes down to right, I don't want to say right sizing, but right pricing your product. You you remember when, uh, I don't know, you're not old enough to remember when CDs first came out. So CDs first actually came out. Yeah, actually, I do remember when CDs first came out. In the early 80s. Very, very young. So, um, I think CDs, well. uh, Well, when they debuted, they were like 1982, which was was prior to my birth. Yes, but I can remember when they started to become popular. Yeah, so and, and they were they phased out records in the nineties, right? So, I remember that too. But in the so in the eighties when CDs were coming out, they were expensive. Then then the players were expensive. 
Then CDs started coming down and, and the records started coming down. There's never, ever been a, an excuse for the pricing of CDs the way they are. Except that digital music started getting stolen. Mm-hmm. And you had to make up your money. And now, companies, as we've, I think we've discussed in previous podcasts, are not even going to print CDs. And um, a lot of folks are going to where or a lot of uh, places, Bus Buy and Walmart and everything, are just shutting down the CD aisle completely. Yeah, well, we're witnessing the demise of the record company as we know it. Right. Well, there are so many non-distributed record labels now, literally just pumping music straight to iTunes and Spotify and, and everything else, and Spotify and all these other services that. It's it's only a matter of time before the record companies themselves collapse. Correct. Something's going to get to give, and they're holding on with dear life. They're holding on by by breaking the backs, and they're they're riding. And they're the holding on of, by their Katy Perry's. That's and, right, and their Miley yeah. Cyruses and everything else. Right. They're solo artists for the most part, I and mean, we could go on for days about why a solo artist is the, is the bread well, and butter of the. Per- personally, I think it's I think it's. Um, it's going to be a real difficult industry because, all right, so we're looking, we're talking about these softer prices, like 100, 850 bucks for Melodyne, yeah. which is basically becoming an industry standard tool. Um, if, if you're going to pay $850 for Melodyne, normally in the old way of doing things, you'd get a cash advance from your label, yep. who also already had a deal with the distribution company, which is probably fronting some of that money, right? so that you could produce your project. If you have an album that costs $100,000 to make, which isn't that expensive, I mean, in, in album cost, um, you know, what are you going to do if you're an independent artist? Yeah. Yeah, I have to record it at home, number one. You might mix in a studio, but you're going to get your basic tracking done at home. You might hire an engineer to come into your house and use your equipment to help you get the tracking done. But, I mean, you're, you're looking to, for, for ways to pinch pennies. And I just don't see how a, a product that's 850 bucks. And, and an industry standard product is going to be able to maintain itself at that price. I don't think if the if the popularity of EDM had waned, I don't think we'd be seeing we'd even have this discussion. But no. EDM is driving well, a lot of this. Oh sure, but but I think EDM is probably the biggest guilt biggest guilty. They have the most guilt. And they are also the biggest victim of yep. piracy. Piracy. Yep. Because let's face it, a lot of these guys that are into that world are very technically savvy. They know how to use BitTorrent. They know how to use all these services yep. like the dark web to get a hold of the stuff with cracked versions. Oh yeah. Um and that's you know, that's where the majority of the piracy is probably occurring too. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't disagree with you there. There's no right. way that um, these these costs can continue. So, because there's no there's no what you get to at the end. What is the end goal of paying eight hundred dollars for software? What's the end goal of it? An, an end product, okay? You know, that you a can song, do what? a song or an album that you can release. That's right, and you can get what money back. Hopefully, hopefully you get money back, unless it's a, a complete passion project like what mine tend to be, which is just getting something out there. So if you're giving taking, music to the world, that's right. So if I'm you're doing my Lamaze for all these people that are that are pirating our podcast right now, <laughs> no, for um, 
for all these people the that are Arg, Arg bunch of pirates. Oh, you're a, yeah. I forget your navy. You got that down pat. That's right. That's exactly. Hey, right, hey, I gotta ask. Do they still do that thing when you when you cross the equator? Yeah, they did. I don't know about now. They did in the '90s when I was still. In. All right. They, uh, yes, yes. There was a lot of amazing. Um, but when you <laughs> when you pirate this stuff, okay. When you buy this this stuff at eight hundred dollars, that's not the only one you gotta buy. So you gotta buy this one. You gotta buy that one. You gotta buy this plugin. You gotta buy that plugin. You gotta buy this IR. You gotta buy that IR. You've got to buy this equipment. You got to buy that equipment. You've got just like the old days. I mean, nobody can say that it was cheap. Have you know thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment into a um, a uh, studio? I mean, look at look at Electrical Ladyland, right? Yeah. Um, that thing was a passion project for Jimi Hendrix because it cost him way too much freaking money, and he had to put out albums to pay for it. You wouldn't have seen some of that older H- Hendrix music had it not been for the fact that Electric Ladyland was bleeding him dry. Yeah. So now it's it's like, oh, now I gotta go board Electric Ladyland. Nobody wanted to go there before. <laughs> now everybody wants to be there, except unless they wanted free dope from from Jimmy. So and, and Eddie Kramer. <laughs> yeah, and Eddie Kramer. So now you've got this, you know, you've got this huge investment, right? Thousands of dollars. That sit in a DAW in all of this stuff. And, and the problem that most people have when they walk into your, your studio, I'll, I'll tell you what the thing is now. And it, and it started in the late 90s, 2000s. Every asshole with a digital mic, a computer, and a DAW, and back then Pro Tools, and now you know so many other DAWs, um, thinks that they can put out an album. That all you have to do is to have... The tools. That's like telling me, hey, Jim, I gave you a screwdriver and a lug wrench and a few other tools. Now, go change your oil. So I don't know how to change my oil. <laughs> so there are two industries where we've seen this before. Okay, Number one is the software industry. We've seen this yeah. before. Where back in the 1970s, nobody knew how to use computers. So the three guys that had figured out how to program Pong... We're getting all these jobs right. building software for things that didn't have software. Exactly. So even if they sucked at it, they were going to make decent money. That's right. Okay. So and and this actually already happened in the in the audio industry as well. Um, I I forget who it was. It's somebody big name. Um, but I can't but I can't recall who it was. And he was talking about how he got the first Pro Tools system when it came out, right. which was like ten thousand dollars. Okay. Right. He 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 bought it, put it, bought it, and put it in his home studio, and he used it. Right now, here's where it gets interesting. He recorded a couple of bands with it, uh, figured out how it worked. Yep, got the, got the software all squared away, and guess what? He got an engineering job because he'd used Pro Tools before. He'd only used it three yeah. or four times in his house, but it was more times than anybody else. But it was, it was more times, times than anyone else. Anybody else's, and that's the that's the point I'm getting. So. Um, it's the two sides of the coin. It is the tools and the and the ability to use the tools. It right. is also the right cost of the tools. If I'm getting that much, if I'm paying that much money for this tool, has it really got that value? And that's really up to the purchaser. I mean, obviously, that's everything. Right. Value is the same always determined by what people are willing to pay. We've talked about this before. Right. Every guitar, every amp, every pedal, every K 
cable, every string that we use, all of that stuff is how much is it worth to you? And what are you willing to spend on? Well, since we're talking about Melodyne, uh, let's talk about the alternative. If I don't want to buy this software, what am I going to do? Really? I'm going to get my buddy, who I'm trying to autocorrect his guitar part, yep. and I'm going to have him replay it. Yeah. And I'm going to have make sure it's perfectly in tune before we play it. Now, is that worth $850 to go buy a piece of software to correct that performance? Probably not. I mean, real, realistically, me thinking about this now as a reasonable human being, as we're seeing you having this discussion, I'm starting to think, you know, if the song's a six-minute song, I could have it fixed in six or seven minutes. If it the, takes three takes, it's only 20 minutes or a half hour. That's yeah. right. It always comes down to cost. It's, you know, <laughs> so to take this outside of the guitar industry real quick, go to McDonald's, right? Now all your McDonald's are getting those automated... Um, yeah, the kiosks. Kiosks, right? The, that's a mandate from McDonald's. Within yeah. the next couple of no, why? years, it's because of the minimum wage. Well, it's not only that. It's because their people were complaining about you and talking about unionizing and everything else. Again, it's, it's, it's about money. You can call it whatever you want. It's about money. Now you're going to have nowhere where kids can go get a, you know, a job, you know, because there's no McJobs. There's no McJobs. You can't go, would you like fries with that? A machine is going to go, would you like fries with that? All right. Now, I, let, I let think... me finish. Let me get, let me get this okay. point out. All right, all right, all right. So it comes down to cost. If, if your studio time, let's say your studio time is $400 an hour. Well, now, fixing that 20-minute track for every song, that six-minute song, that $800 might be better off spent on... EDM, but, or on the software that allows you to do the EDM, the Melodyne, but if I can do, I'm at my house, that's me and my buddy, and we're recording, eh, screw it, I'll just do it myself. You know, and the truth be told, doing it yourself would be a better approach anyway, it's going to sound better. Yeah. Listen to David Gilmore's um, guitar, the double tracks on his guitars. Those are mm-hmm. not done with Melodyne, tell you that. No, 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 no. That's done with the cold sweat. <laughs> and if you don't and if you want to go, oh uh, David Gilmore, blah blah blah, everybody's gonna have to Okay. If anybody's name, gonna piss if anybody's gonna come on the show here. If you're gonna come onto this show to piss and moan about David Gilmore, okay. or you're gonna tune in so you can bitch about Dave, or David Gilmore and Jim and I and our love for David Gilmore, yep. you might want to find another podcast. Yeah, just listen to Because this is not else. gonna be the one for you. No. But I mean, you know, you could. We could be talking about uh, Steve Vai. We could be talking about Joe Satriani. We could be. Yeah, we talk about, about lots of people. Everybody. But David Gilmore is one of our favorites. But my <laughs> point is, all of them had to go in and either punch in and replay a part. Sure. Whether it was Angus Young, or if it was Steve Vai, they had to punch yeah. a part in, and then they had to go back and listen and see if you know. The cool, the coolest story I've heard. Um, Queen when they did the uh, the jazz record. Yep. Um, they were working on that song. Uh, I think it was Mustafa, the the opening number. I love. And they were song. talking about how. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Yep. And they were talking about how when they recorded that track, they were doing pun- punch-ins as a whole band in different places. And I'm like, that's the, you know, you think about that. That's yep. like crazy. Yep. Most of the time, punching in one instrument. Yep. And they're like, well, no, Brian May made a mistake, so we're going to punch in the whole section, the whole band. Yep. Like, that's cool. And that's part of the reason why the album sounds so good. And if you want to talk about somebody who who 
dub, double, quadruple, triple, quad, you know, Brian sextuple does guitar parts. Brian F and May. Jeez, man. What Holy. a monster that guy was. Holy fuck. Oh, he's still alive. Is, what am I saying? Was. Is. Yeah. Yes. He I mean, still is. He's literally a rocket scientist. I mean, it's like. Yeah. Okay. Astrophysicist and fantastic guitar player. <laughs> it's like, uh, fuck you, Brian May. <laughs> he's an extraordinary human being as well. Yes. Um. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. The point, the point of this whole discussion is to bring light to the fact that if you're out there and you're this guy that's like, you know, I really want to hear this record, but I don't want to buy it. Dude, just pay the money and buy Spotify or pay the money and get an Apple Music account or right. whatever you got to do. These artists need royalties, okay? You're putting money in people's mouths, especially if you're one of these guys that listens to really small independent artists. They're, they're not loaded. Right. Listen, if you can't give, I'll tell you right now, in the last month, I've bought 10 independent artist friends music. I have bought uh, my friends, uh, Jules, uh, Jules Galley in uh, L.A. I just bought a local band's um, uh, song. I think it's hilarious. Um, it's called The Big D. And it, no, it's not what you think. It's 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 a... Country songs about divorce. That's the big D, but it's still got a hilarious title. Well, you and I told get, him you got a hilarious title. I got to buy this song. by getting a D. Yeah, so they got the D, <laughs> and 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 it does have a refer a lot of references to the big D and getting the big D. Yeah, and um, but nice the point is, is it was a dollar twenty nine. These people, I, I mean, come on, Just support your friends. If you're gonna talk shit, seriously, if you're gonna talk shit. About support local music, go out and see a fucking band. If you're gonna talk shit about, oh, everybody's buying the same music, buy something else. Buy it. Don't talk shit about it. Don't talk smack about it. Don't don't be a dick cheese. Buy it. Tell your Jim. tell your friend you're willing to buy it. You don't have to buy the whole damn album. Buy one of the songs. Jim, you're older than I am. Yeah. Um, obviously. Uh, yeah. We've talked about we've talked about that on the show, and you're, you're you're you have a unique perspective on this, so I'm I'm yeah. I'm bringing it to light. Um, the tip jar, okay? Yeah. For our generation, the tip jar is not such a hollowed thing. I don't yeah. I don't think I've ever seen somebody in their 20s and 30s, which is like around my age group, yep. throwing money in a tip jar. Now I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm not pointing the finger at anyone specifically, but I, I've been at clubs where you know bands are playing and people are dancing, but they're not throwing money in the tip jar. Yeah, that's like, another thing. So, is that a generational thing? Like, was that once like a big deal, like throwing money in the tip jar to support your local artist? Okay, so in the beginning, um, the tip jar was a lot of a lot of the way that the only way we made music, and in, in the most part, it was literally busking in the corner of a pizza place. Or yeah, no, I get the busking thing. That's bar, right, and yeah. and they allowed you to come in, so you got a tip jar if you were. Um, let's face it, your your whole or um, uh, your house pianist had a tip jar. I always, always, I used to go to this um, this place in the 80s, and I would leave $5 in the guy's chip jar every time I left. And and so when I would come there, because I went there almost weekly, when I would go there with my wife and I would ask him to play certain songs, after I threw the money in the tip jar a couple times, he was like, hey, next time, you know, what what else would you like me to learn before, now, before then? I can at least, you know, learn the songs. So he was, he was like, okay, this guy's going to pay me. I'm going to, I'm going to learn stuff for him and i saw him recently i saw him uh um it's been 
25 years probably since then? Almost 30 years? No. It's been more than 30 years, right? 88 has been 30 yeah. years? Yeah. More than 30 years. Yeah. I just saw him, um, and he said, hey, I remember you. Um, and you he play was, one of the tunes? Yeah. And um, so I saw him at an open mic that That's our bass cool. players um, doing. Um, it, so it went from tip jars. Then we had, okay, here's something else you don't see much of in many markets. That's the cover. So the tip jar became the cover, right? Mm-hmm. So you went from tip jars to covers. And places that didn't have a cover had a tip jar. Because the place didn't really want to have to pay the musician. Right. But all of a sudden, somewhere in the 90s, covers disappeared. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because too many bands were willing to pay to play or to play for free. I think that had a huge impact on that. And so I'm, gonna, I, I'm coming to a point here. Because it's, it's valuation. Um, so now, all of a sudden... Nobody wants cover. And if you go in and you say to a place, yeah, we can take a cover, all of a sudden it went from it went from a $5 cover. I can remember coming home on weekends with stamps on both hands. You know, I'd have two or three stamps yeah. on either hand. I know I spent $15, $20 covers for each of them, you know, um, my wife and my Then all of a sudden yeah, it there, went away. There are still covers here someplace in Chicago. It really depends. But not much, um, right? But I ha- yeah, no. Well, depends on the group. Depends on the venue. Like we have Brower House here, which is a pretty significant size stage. They'll do covers anywhere from ten to twenty, depending on if who you it is. Think about that. Where you just went the other night, you paid a sixteen dollar. Oh, let's not talk about that. Yeah, but I'm just that saying that was not worth that cover charge. No, but you paid sixteen dollars to go in there mm-hmm. um, to see two crappy bands and two good ones or whatever. Um, yeah. You, but the thing is that a cover. Is kind of like what you were talking about. It's my ability to go in there and find out if the band isn't even any good. Right. right? And right. so why the cover went away, I don't know. But then, the, so you get to that chip jar. I still throw money. If, if I see a guy busking, I throw money in his... I don't yeah, care if, if I have money, I try to... I don't to, care if they're good. To. I don't care if they're even good. I throw a little money in there because guess what? That's all they've got. Right. All they've got. That's, That's how kind of why I'm bringing this up. Yeah. And so if you're, in a, if you're in a club with a tip jar, if you have a dollar, don't be ashamed to throw a dollar in there. But, but we're, in a, we're in a world right now where cash in your pocket's a very, very yeah, yeah. rare thing. Yep. There's, there's a lot of times I don't have a dollar in my pocket. Well, that's the thing. And the, with, the, with the advent of using your debit card to pay for everything, which a lot of people do. You really can't tip anymore. No. And again, you know, I mean, we, you have a square reader or an a iPad. Smart, with a yeah, a smart thing set up on there. have a little thing to to read RFID so you could, could throw your phone over it, right? Um, but the, um, so that goes to our YouTube thing that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where you have YouTube tips. A lot easier to do, a lot easier to put on. But, yep. um, Go out there and support people. This, the music is, is not dying. Everybody thinks the music is dying. The music isn't dying. Local music is dead. We're killing it. We are mm-hmm. killing it. We as musicians. When, when my band has a weekend off, we make it a point to meet somewhere and see a local band. Yeah, it's and, cool. 
and it's I know everybody has their own way of doing things, but if you're not supporting local musicians, then how can you expect to ask them to come and support you? Right. I just I don't. And, well, if you grow as an artist, you don't grow as an artist by sitting at home and listening to the record. No. You grow as an artist by seeing people perform. I, fundamentally, I, I can't say this enough. I know I've already said it on the podcast, but music is a performance art. Right. You're supposed to be performing it. Right. And and what we do um, is a, a passion project. I don't right. care how much money you make at it. All yeah, we're not that, looking to make money on the, the podcast. We're looking to get the podcast to pay for itself. With the exception <laughs> of these people who go on The Voice and the, and the, you know, American Idol and stuff like that, most people realize, and I'm not saying that none of them have paid their dues. There are folks that have been on that no, show. No, they're that sure. Yeah, especially on The dues. Voice. Yeah. yeah. Um, but most of the famous musicians you know paid their dues. They Mm-hmm. They did their night after night of just, you know. That's how you get good. Yeah. I mean, not everybody can be Neil Schoen and skip school and, oh, by the way, uh, Santana wants you to play for him. I mean, you know, at 15 years old, literally. I not have a, a gigantic smile on my face because Jim and I had a very interesting conversation about Neil Schoen the other day. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll leave that one out of the podcast. We'll, we'll do, yeah, we'll do that one on another day. But yeah, I mean uh, that's that's the thing. Not everybody can do that. And even Neil Schoen, he spent years and years in in um what where he, nobody no, heard. No, I mean him. Uh, touring. Yeah, he was touring and touring, <laughs> and nobody was listening to him. Yeah, well, I I don't listen to him now. I do. I think I think he's one of the. I, no, he's I, a great honestly, player. I think he's I'm probably just saying I don't listen the, to his words. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, his words. He's just blah, blah, blah. As far as I'm concerned. That's like Ted Nugent. I love Ted Nugent's play. Uh, again, I, hear I love blah, him as a player. Blah, 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 don't don't necessarily like his words. That's right. Love the, um, love, the, love the sinner, hate the sin. You know, I mean, it's just the way it goes. Yeah. All right. Well, with that bombshell, yep. I have been David. I've been Jim. And we have been the practical guitarists. That was creepy.